Welcome to From the Resort Podcast, uh, Qu- uh, Queenstown Life, with your host Tim Wilshire. Today is the twentieth uh, of uh, January, twenty twenty-one. Uh, it's overnight. It's been really, really cold. We've had a lot of snow on the mountains, and uh, just beautiful sort of uh, scenery. Uh, we're here at the Harcourt's office uh, in town, thirty-nine Shadow Street, and uh, today our special guest is uh, Hamish Walker, who is. Um, uh, very recently being the uh, MP of the Kluver Southland area, uh, which is uh, the federal parliament in, in New Zealand. Um, he's, also, he's currently uh, working as a real estate agent for Harcourts in Queenstown, involved in um, a very big project up at Gibson, which he'll talk about. And also, he's uh, recently, when I first met Hamish, uh, got elected as a member of the Queenstown Chamber of Commerce. Welcome along, Hamish. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. And just to you, I just think it's great. Um, Queenstown's made up of a lot of people that move here, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we're in, we live in such a great community. Huge amount of diversity here. Got 50-plus cultures. Our primary schools are probably the most diverse out of the country, and seeing people like you come into the community and actually get actively involved by interviewing a number of people I think is great. I first met you at the uh, local Chamber of Commerce event uh, a month or two ago. Um, so, yeah. Full credit to you, Tim, for um, coming and making your mark in the community. Uh, very, very kind words to start off with, Hamish. Thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, I love doing I love doing podcasts and uh, um, this the series with the From the Resort podcast. Um, we're up to episode ten, and uh, thank you very much for your support and uh, everyone else who's been on the podcast so far today. Uh, I guess where we like to start these podcasts, Hamish, is a bit of background information. So. I guess uh, I'd like to tell the audience where you were born and where did you sort of grow up early in life? Yes, I was born in a place called Dunedin, which is about a three and a half drive away from here on the east coast. Uh, First sort of uh, 20, 21 years was spent in Dunedin, went to high school there. Pretty typical sort of upbringing, loved my sports. Uh, Didn't like school so much because I was more busy focusing on sports. Um, Yes, I born and bred in Dunedin. Uh, My heritage is from Scotland. Um, a few generations ago, a bloke by the name of John Barr uh, got on the, I think it was the John Wycliffe uh, boat from Scotland, and that was in 1848, uh, arrived in Port Chalmers in Dunedin, and he settled there, and what's quite interesting is he moved an hour south to Balclutha, which is a small town with several several thousand people, and he was the first man to um, uh, open up biz- a few businesses there, he had a bakery, uh, he actually was um, an innovative guy. He had the government punt, like a small boat, across the river. And then, unfortunately, uh, technology caught up with him. I think in about the 1860s, they built a bridge over the river. Therefore, uh, his service wasn't warranted, but was special. I was living there for two years recently. And, um, yeah, it was quite quite emotional, actually, driving around the town and seeing a lot of the street names named after um, my family. Um, wow. Well. John Street, Bar Street, Elizabeth Street, all all wonderful people that um, pretty much the reason why I'm here, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, so yeah, early life in Dunedin, actually it was oddly enough, me and my wife just went there for a couple a day or so last week just for a bit of a, was, I guess a, a bit of a trip back and forth. Um, it, quite interesting, very, uh, it's, it's sort of an old style place, but it's very it's hilly, going up to Maori Hill. Um, Port Chalmers, that looked like an interesting place though. Is that sort of where people like to live, the, 
Is that sort of the pick of the places? So that was a small town, small sort of suburb of Dunedin, about a sort of 10 or 15 minute drive from the CBD. Um, That's where Port Otago is based. Mm. Um, It's a small port town, very cute. Um, It's a must do if you are visiting the area. Um, Dunedin's fascinating. It's got amazing tourism there in terms of um, wildlife. Um, You can go out on the peninsula there and tour. Dunedin's got about... Roughly 130,000 people. Of that, about 25,000 are students. So it's a nice young city, Dunedin. Very, very vibrant. Um, and then you've got a suburb called North Dunedin, which is about oh, three or four kilometres long and a couple of kilometres wide. It's the youngest um, per capita in the world. Okay. Youngest age of people living there. Average age is something like 20 or 21. So you want to avoid that area in the weekend, especially late at night. There's <laughs> parties going off everywhere. Still very safe. Yep. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun there, and I had some some good times in Dunedin. Yeah. So growing up there, obviously, what was family life like? So brothers and sisters. Yeah, three. Sorry, four other siblings. So three sisters and a brother. I was number three, right in the middle. Yep. Um, old man's a GP. Mum was a teacher, and still she until she had five kids. Uh, I've got one child of my own who's coming up one now. So I don't know how Mum did it with five kids. Um, for me, played a lot of sports. Um, Tennis, soccer, golf. Um, so, yeah, I was quite busy with the sports. But for me, um, yeah, life took a turn. When I was about 14, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So going through puberty, yeah, going through puberty, it's quite a tough age to get diabetes. You're trying to figure out who you are as a person. Um, my best friend, he got, it. he got type 1 diabetes when he was two and a half, and I've got a few mates that got it between sort of 19 and 23. And we all agree if you are going to get an illness like that, it's best to get it at a younger age because you just don't know the difference. Mm. Um, so currently, you know, I have several injections a day, mm. um, which sounds like a lot, but the hardest part is just keeping your sugars under control. It hasn't stopped me from doing anything in my life apart from joining the police. Um, but for me, it certainly motivates me. Um, it's taught me that, you know, at the end of the day, health's all we've got um, and how fragile and short life is. Um, so yeah, it matured me at quite a young age, and I use it now to really basically motivate myself. Yeah, okay. It's um, you know I don't hear too many stories about I guess young people you know I guess of teenage years getting diabetes, but um, yeah, okay. That's it. It's obviously sports. What was your favourite of all the sports that you played? Uh, oh, I couldn't pick a favourite. It's too hard. But played a lot of um, tennis, sort of mm. for the province until mm. I was about fourteen, fifteen. And it was just a classic case of if you play something every day at that age, um, you can get quite sick of it. Um, Played a lot of golf, pretty average golfer, got down to about a seven handicap. Um, So played for the the school team there. And then soccer, we managed to win the South Island Champs in my last year of school as a goalkeeper. Um, Goalkeeper? Yeah, so I loved all the sports. Um, But it's interesting, with sports at that age, you know, you are... Looking back now, I just, you know, it's, a, it's if you want someone to be good at a sport, obviously they've got to focus on it, but if you push them at a young age mm. into one sport in particular, you do face that risk of them and their teenage years just going, hey, I'm ahead of guts for this, so it should be about having fun mm. at that age and letting the kid decide what sport they want to yeah. proceed with. Yeah. Um, 
Your first job uh, as a teenager, most likely, when, what was the first job that you would have had? So during school, I always had some sort of job or business or scheme on the go, um, <laughs> from washing cars on the side of the road to um, selling firewood. And I re- my first lesson in business was when I was washing these cars, I had the signs out on the road, but no one was stopping. So I worked out pretty quick, you've got to be proactive in business as opposed to reactive. So my, my theory was to go to the closest shop once the person was in the shop, either put a note on their car or wait for them to walk out and offer my services. And at the shop, I had about a one in three hit rate, which was pretty good at the time. Um, but my first proper job was first year out of school, I was a commercial fisherman. Um, that was a tough year, taught me a lot about life. Um, end of that year, I actually got carpal tunnel so surgery done. Yeah, commercial fisherman. It started off um, on the west coast of the South Island. It was tuna fishing. Go out on this 40-foot boat for up to four or five days at a time. Quite an interesting job because you've got the skipper. He's obviously in the wheelhouse, which is just a small room on the boat where they steer it from. And then I was always stationed down on the deck waiting for these 12 lines um, off the back of the boat. The lines were between sort of 5 and 12 metres long to go off. And you might sit there for 10 hours straight and have nothing. So you don't earn a cent. And then all of a sudden you might have every single line go off. So when the lines did go off, it's quite interesting. Um, so the, the, the fish sort of hunt in schools. I guess that's the right word. Um, so it's an absolute buzz when all the fish are going. Um, because if you go over a big big um, school of fish, or a, I don't even know what you call a big group of fish, group of fish we'll call it that you have to quickly turn the boat and go back over them to get the lines going again um, so that was a lot of fun um, taught me a lot about life hard work and then did that for three or four months then we went crayfish fishing for about six months so that was out of Port Chalmers Kiritani which is both near Dunedin that was um, again fascinating uh, lesson on life I'd some depending on the tide if we're out of Kiritani it's a, um, it's a bar there I'd have to go to work between 2 and 6am. Often my mates were out partying all night and I was already off to work before they even got home. I did the whole young thing, wasted about $8,000 on a fast Subaru. That's what you do at that age, you waste money on cars. Um, But really good lesson in life about working hard that year fishing, that's for sure. Okay, so... So how, many, how, how long did you do the fishing for exactly? It was, it was about a year. Mm. And then at the end of that year, I got carpal tunnel surgery yeah. done. Mm. And then throughout that year, I was lucky enough to get on a reality TV show. So what, which reality TV show? Are you in New Zealand? Or? Yeah, it was on TV3. It was called Going Straight. So basically they had five competitors over a week. They have three, um, three different sort of events um, so the first event was uh, a place not too far away from here, about an hour away, called Athol. It was a straight country road, and they mapped out about a 250-metre um, uh, long sort of track on the road. It was only about two metres wide, and going straight meant you couldn't go outside the lines. The lines could be a metre, it could be 10 metres, it could be three inches. So the first challenge, there was five of us, the winner gets... I think it was 10 grand. This is sort of 20 years ago, so it was good money back then. So we got to this this road behind Athol, and it was a couple hundred metres long. And they pulled the names out of the hat, and I was first to go. Nervous as hell. I was on TV for the first time. I was stuttering my words. Um, I thought, well, this isn't too hard. It's just a sprint. 
So I lined up. They took the other four competitors a kilometre down the road so you couldn't see um, anyone else's results. They said, right, three, two, one, go. Started running. After about 10 or 20 metres of running, a car comes around the corner. And the car's wider, obviously, than the two lines. So this car slowed down to about probably 25, 30 k's an hour. But because you can't go outside the lines, you have to go over the car. So I jumped on the bonnet, windscreen smashed. And I managed to hold on to the window wiper and pull myself. I sort of got flipped off the car, but I was holding on to this window wiper, dragged myself up. And then over the first car, I thought, right, I've done it, 100 metres to go. Started sprinting again. And then a, a freaking second car comes around the corner and my heart just sunk at this stage and managed to get over the second car, finished. And two out of the five competitors got flung off the car as they tried to get over it. So there was three competitors left. The next day it was the Kingston Flyer, which is quite a famous train. Kingston's about 45 minutes um, from Queenstown. We had to run from the back of the train to the front while it was going full steam. Um, How how long would the train be? Oh, about roughly four carriages, maybe 20 metres each. Yeah. But the hardest part was jumping between the carriages when the train's going at, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 k's an hour. Um, But you felt like a movie star because you had these two helicopters either side of your filming going along the train so you felt like some sort of stunt, stunt actor um, but all three made it through that and then the third challenge final challenge to win the 10 gram was this um, uh, it's the, the the Nevis Bluff which is a river yeah. and they put a crane above this river on the road sort of 200, 200 metres above mm. and the crane had a sort of beam on it which was about 40 metres long probably only 4 inches wide with a sort of thing in the middle, you had to step on one leg and go over. So I managed to, I was first out of the three, minute 50. The second lady fell off, and the third lady, she did a great job. She, she bet my time and got the money. But long story short, is, um, as a result of that week, I went and studied television and film for a couple of years um, into Needham at the Otago School of Media. So that was, um, yeah, good fun. You learned all about TV production and how to make TV and film. Interesting. Um, yeah, good so, fun though, because you learn. Um, so, what was the name of that TV show, that reality? Uh, it was called Going Straight. Go, that's right, you said. Going that. Straight. Going so, that straight. was on TV3. And how many years ago we're talking there? That was either an 02 or 03. Can't even remember. So, you're talking 17 years ago? It must have been 02, yeah. And I would have been roughly about 18. Yeah. Yeah. So, half your life ago. That's pretty scary when you put it like that. Yeah. There you go. And then on to television uh, and doing that at Dunedin. Um, so was that a degree or...? It was a diploma. diploma so level yeah. six, which is a bit like second year. Yeah, yeah. Um, two years, a lot of volunteering. And at the end of that, it came down to, did I want to move to Auckland to mm. get a job? Because yeah. the jobs are pretty hard in New Zealand in the television yes. industry. Yeah. People that work, and I take my hat off to them. It's um, yeah, not a lot of work about You've got to be incredibly passionate about it. At yep. the time... Um, I just wasn't ready to move to Auckland. Um, yeah, but I'm glad I, I did it, and it sort of set me up for the next study that I did, which was um, uh, uh, university level um, accounting. So an accounting degree. Okay, accounting. Okay. There you go. Yeah, so a few random jobs, and I mean, throughout all of those jobs, it was always quite interesting because the conversation always came back to politics. And I'm, I've always been a bit more of a listener, believe it or not, than a talker. Yep. And I always enjoy, regardless of where they sit on the fence, people's different opinions and views. 
um, some other jobs. I've had you know possum trapping, uh, gold mining in Western Australia. Did an OE. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, bit of an OE across to America and Europe. Uh, did the camp, camp counselor thing in uh, America, which was good fun. Yeah, so I've had a few different experiences, but they always they've all helped towards real estate because you're dealing with all sorts of people. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just one of these weirdos that find people interesting. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, I guess the two main, the, the two more recent things that I guess in your career, you're looking at obviously when you so tell us about getting into politics. How did that play out? How did that uh, become a reality? Um, and then, how, I mean, when, I guess how long ago, first of all, did you decide that you had a goal to uh, be an MP, um, you know, on, in the Federal Parliament of New Zealand? Um, how long ago was that goal and how did you get from there to getting into Parliament? I guess that's... that's... Probably about 2008 or nine. Yeah. Um, I first really got interested in politics. I joined the National Party here in New Zealand, which is a centre-right party. Um, and then... Basically, how you get you just join up to a party and start getting involved, and then I wanted practical experience. I I stood for national in Dunedin South in two thousand and fourteen. Incredible opportunity, loved it, um, great experience. Um, and then three years later, stood for obviously didn't get in in two thousand and fourteen, but then two thousand and seventeen, um, stood for Clutha South, in which is the largest general electorate in the country. Uh, was lucky enough to be selected for that. Um, that encompasses Queenstown. Um, how far south does it go? It goes, goes to a place called basically Winton. Yeah, Winton, Winton. If yep. people know where that is, it's yep. about twenty minutes from Invercargill. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, pretty close to Invercargill. Yeah. And then it sort of covered all the South Island back up around towards Queenstown, and then across to uh, a place called Balclutha up to Milton and Lawrence, which is sort of that's a huge area. Yeah, it started sort of about twenty five minutes south of. Dunedin, so it was the largest in the country. Um, I covered, it was covering sort of the biggest years. I mean, obviously, things are usually population based when we're talking electorates, but that seems like a massive amount of ground you could, someone's got to cover. Yeah, well, that's why the seat's so big because it's population based. Yeah. But what happened is in the last sort of five years, we've had a huge growth in places like Queenstown. Definitely, yeah. I've actually made that seat probably, they just changed all the seats in New Zealand over the last year. That seat's probably about 30% small now, land-wise. So ge- geographic we're talking about here. Mm. Um, yeah, so the current guy, Joseph Mooney, he's doing a good job. Um, he's He's got a, a lucky bugger. He's got a wee bit less area to cover. Um, yeah. But yeah, real honour and privilege to represent the community and parliament. I guess, um, I mean, getting into the role to begin with, I mean, you obviously were selected then. You said you were selected even back in 2014 in the Dunedin South electorate um, so obviously you, you, would, you must have had some people that were impressed with your abilities and obviously put you in these positions how did, how did that sort of all come about so how you get selected is you have part, for the, party like members party, which is one of the main parties obviously yeah so you have party members and different electorates and they're the ones that vote on their candidate to get in so the, the national party is a very democratic party mm. in terms of how they select candidates um, for example, Labour, the um, current government party, yep. they have a lot more say from head office in Wellington. So that's one great thing about the National Party, it is democratic. Um, and was, yeah, for whatever reason, fortunate enough to be selected. Um, absolute honour and privilege um, doing it, and it's three years of my life I'll cherish. And 
Yeah, for me, the, the, the most satisfying thing was being able to get out of bed each day and change lives. Mm. Um, you know, I get meet probably probably one, one couple or one person on the street a week and thank you so much, you've helped us, Amish, you went into bat for us, no one else would, um, you've changed our lives. Yeah. Um, I had one family, absolute wonderful family, I met them about two weeks into the job as being an MP and it's quite tough because you don't get a, a 101 on how to be an MP, mm. you know, you get um, constituents coming to your office yes. and often you have very limited background of, of law or their issue, what they're trying to fight on. Um, so in politics, you've just got to know just a wee bit about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but this particular sure, yeah. family, they came into my office, they had a week or two left in New Zealand before they were going to get the boot, before yeah, they were going to become illegal. Yeah. Um, Sri Lankan family, three amazing boys, yeah. um, said, right, we're going to have a protest march, we're going to get some media out this, and we're going to put some attention on to uh, the relevant minister. Mm. And yeah, I was expect we decided this protest march. I was hoping for thirty or forty people. We had four hundred and fifty, mm. and for me that brought the community of Queenstown together and just showed that we actually value diversity here. Mm. Um, and now this particular family, one or two of their boys are playing cricket for Otago. I've got absolutely no well, doubt excellent. they'll go on and play for New Zealand. Um, and at the well, time, well. I joked with them, said, "Well, make sure you give me free tickets to those black cap games." Um, but this is a family that's been here for nearly a decade, making yeah. a huge contribution yeah. to our community. And what was awesome, it brought me to tears actually, was seeing the amount of people in Queenstown um, turn up to that protest march. It's giving me shivers now just thinking about it. Mm. Um, well, that's really, really good. Yeah, because we are we are unique, Queenstown. Mm. I know everyone outside of Queenstown will say, yeah, right, you think you're unique, but you're not. We actually are. Yeah. Um, as I say, what I was saying about you before, Tim, is we have a lot of people that move here yeah. to um, to basically lead a better life. It's a great place to live. We've got mountains, lakes, everything we want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I think that was a real defining moment for our community when we literally came together to fight for this wonderful family. Mm. So to, with Queenstown itself, and we sort of segue there, um, when did you first move into the area yeah. from... from from uh, Dunedin or wherever you were before. About the middle of 2019. Okay. Yeah, and obviously heavily involved, you know, a couple of years prior to that through the politics. I'll be here every week. Yep. Or most weeks from one to sort of three days. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of issues. Queenstown's been through a hell of a lot since, you know, jets first landed in the early 1990s. Mm. Um, that's when Queenstown really took off when we had direct jet services. Yep. Um, especially from Auckland, obviously a lot of mm. visitors here. Um, yeah. So yeah, the struggles around here, it's always about how do you sort of manage growth mm. as opposed to the re- rest of the electorate was how you stimulate growth in those rural areas. Mm. Um, but to anyone listening, if you want to come and live here, ring me up and I'll pick you up at the airport. I'll show you where to live. Um, I just think it's the best place on the planet and the people are incredible. No, I mean, I first fell in love with the place five years ago when I first came here and it was a goal back then to you know to, to make a move here and a four to five year plan carrying out through COVID I guess you know so um, yeah lovely place and I can see why um, you, you know like you like a lot of people that uh, it's it's really um, certainly enjoyable um, yeah so I guess with I mean I I guess um, going back to 
where I, I guess uh, originated the podcast from Brisbane. Um, I was quite, I actually knew quite well the, the Brisbane member of, of the National Federal Parliament. He was, he was quite well known and he'd regularly come to our networking um, events and he you know, very personal sort of guy. Well, I don't know Trevor Evans, I don't know if he know him, but... Uh, Fair enough. Um, I mean, for an MP to rock up to those networking events, that's a great effort because yeah. the workload is just horrific. Mm. It's, um, yeah, the workload's horrific. So for him to make the effort yeah. to turn up those events, that's a great show that he's engaged with yeah. his community. Yeah. But yeah, just on the inner north side of Brisbane, he'd come to our networking breakfast. Um, I think I'd send him, I did one podcast around sort of a, a thing that he did at the breakfast, which was quite good. Um, yeah, but he's, he's also, he's, he's obviously um, seen a couple of different prime ministers, um, you know, with Malcolm Turnbull and, and then Scott Morrison. Um, so it's been quite interesting following his, um, you know, and, and obviously, as you know, the, the, the pressures are fairly, um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tough job, it's a big job, and certainly an experience that you would have had during those three years. Um, if you were to, I guess, sum up the, um, the hardest part of being, being, being in, you know, in that position for you, what would you think that would be? Time away from family. Yeah. Um... You know, we spoke before about the size of the elite trip, but, you know, I was on average probably home two, if I was lucky, three nights a week. Yep. And when you are home, you know, you're sort of, uh, you're, you're, you're replying to emails, phone calls, sorting out your following day. Uh, so for me, it was definitely um, time away from the family. I've been married now for a couple of years. Mm. I better get that one right. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of years. Yeah. Um, young child is turning one yeah. on, I think, this Friday. Yeah. Uh, wow, big birthday coming up. Yeah, we, we, it's, it's going to be good. So, yeah, I think without a doubt, it's it's time away from family. Um, so when you first went into office in 2017, where, where did you set up, um, where was your office space? So I had three different offices in the electorate in Queenstown, sort of running, yeah. Gore and Balclutha. Yep. And then I had a Wellington office as well. Yep. And I sort of spoke about it before. It's interesting. You go there and they give you, they don't give you a one-on-one on how to be an MP. You're sort of left to do your own thing. Of course, you get advice from your party, but you have like a, a two-week induction from parliamentary services, but it's a lot of information to absorb. That's just the basics, you know, how to get your office up and running. So then it took me about 12 months to figure out how to get the most, um, to get the team working efficiently from a staff point of view, because I had sort of half a dozen employees, and um, it's a bit like running a business, you're only as good as what your staff are doing, and to be honest, they were absolutely incredible, um, not on their job, but just incredible people, Okay. and they've got your back, and they were going be, um, above and beyond what they were supposed to, mm. and just a complete conviction to help people or a dedication to, to assist people in the community because when someone goes to an MP it's often like the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff mm. and your role there as an MP is to basically ensure they get their entitlements that they're allowed to from the yeah. government um, but yeah for me yeah, it was really my staff that um, enabled me my staff and I like the MP gets the credit but it's actually your staff that are doing the hard yards yeah. for you so sort of being inside to the to the government in a way, seeing how it all run during that three year time. Uh, how would you say that the New Zealand government sort of has, you know, from your perspective, has had how how they sort of performed whilst you were, I guess, the MP of that such large area? Uh, what, what were they doing 
what, what was the government doing, I guess, best at and what, where would you think things could have improved? If you it's always, to be it's, always it's, a, it's a good question because um, nothing's ever perfect. No. And I mean, they're trying their best to um, make life better for Kiwis. Um, probably one area they didn't perform on was around Kiwi build, which is a large sort of scale construction to get more Kiwis into homes here in New Zealand. Obviously, the more supply you can put out of housing, the more affordable it is for first-home buyers to get into properties. But, I mean, all in all around COVID, they've done a pretty good job. You know, huge amount of pressure on the Prime Minister and the Labour government, and they've done well. Mm. You've got to give them credit for that. Um, hey, it hasn't been perfect. It never will be. Um, but I'm more of a positive person. I like mm. to keep a positive spin on things yeah. as a whole. Yep. You've got to give them credit. Um, no one's perfect. Um, so I think, and I mean, if you look at the the sort of brand recognition of New Zealand around the globe because of the current Prime Minister, you've got to give it credit for that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's always areas they can improve on. Mm. Um, but hey, there's no point being negative, right? No, there isn't. No, that's, um, that's a positive way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've, you've got to give them credit. There's no point being negative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing, really, just being fairly new to the country, uh, about the, the last election is, is I guess, how, how much they really, all the seats that they really sort of um, were able to establish, uh, you know, new seats that they've sort of, the Labor government, that is. Uh, and that's obviously a testament to what you just said about them as to, you know, they've sort of really tried to do the right thing by and, and, and keep, keep the majority of New Zealanders... Um, happy as a result um, so I guess it, it's hard to know in the future what, what, what other challenges that may arise I mean COVID's going to be is, is big enough challenges in itself it's still a bit of an unknown as to, to when this part of the world's going to sort of um, uh, you know improve when it comes to to uh, things like tourism numbers coming back and stuff like that so it's, it's certainly been for a, a bit of a challenge um, just just on the election there Tim I mean yeah if we take a step back, it was, I don't think we'll ever see an election like it in our lifetime again. Yeah. You had this thing, COVID, which is, I mean, no one predicted, no one would have ever thought that our borders would be shut to international tourists, especially in this neck of the woods in Queenstown. So with that, the Prime Minister did get a huge amount of air time with COVID, and there's this thing called rally around the flag effect, which basically means during tough times of crisis um, in New Zealand or whatever country, the majority of the population will rally behind the flag being the current government. Yeah. And I think that's what we saw happen. Yeah, um, so I think, like, you know, National, which is the centre-right party that I stood for, we went from about roughly 55, 56 MPs down to 33, so yeah. roughly 44% in 2017 to 25 or 26% this election. Yeah. Um, it's very abnormal election, so you can't read into it too much. No, no, things could change again next time. Absolutely, and it always does, mm. um, especially in politics, that's for sure. But that doesn't take anything away um, from the performance of, of the government. I guess, I mean, I look, Queenstown, and I certainly look forward to um, your, your involvement when it comes to the you know, Queenstown Chamber of Commerce in the future. I only mean, just jumped onto the board at the moment. Probably don't have too much time today to talk about um, that, but it'll be good to 
you know, see how that sort of goes. And obviously, you know, you are, I mean, it was a fairly hot, hotly, even a little, an election like that is a fairly hotly contested election where you've got uh, a lot more uh, candidates than there were positions. So to be able to jump straight in, um, not being on the board before, I don't think, uh, but obviously having that um, political background and, and obviously well-liked um, by people in this community, then that, that's certainly a testament to to that, uh, you know, yeah, I was lucky. I think we had about sort of eleven or twelve go for it, and there was possibly five. three or five seats up for grabs. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, a real honour and a privilege, and um, it's just nice to be able to to give back to the community. Yeah. So as far as um, as far as the the polit- the political the politics and and I guess um, the you know the federal government is, is that something that uh, you sort of close the door on? There's nothing. There's, is there any sort of want to sort of Go back into that in the future. Now I've had my time. The chapters well and truly uh, closed there, and um, you know we spoke about it before. Huge demands and pressure on your family yeah. time. Absolutely loving real estate. You literally get to help people achieve their goals and dreams. Yeah. I'm getting a huge amount of satisfaction out of that. Yeah. Um, okay. So now that that chapter's definitely uh, done and dusted, and um, you're really loving the real estate challenge. Okay, so let's talk about the real estate. When I guess <clears throat> have you sort of going through your uh, career up until you started with Harcourts last year. Um, had you sort of been a real estate agent before or had any experience um, in, in, the, uh, in the area? Yeah, I have. I've um, had quite a bit of experience in real estate. I was um, an owner of a property management company for three, three and a half years up in Auckland. Yeah. Um, that was a great opportunity, great experience. And previous to that, I was a PA to a partner of a a real estate company in Dunedin and also sold um, in Wellington and wow. Auckland. I was, start of, I was part of a startup which was a, a sort of flat fee agency. They charged sort of eight grand plus just for a sale of a house. It didn't work um, and that's purely because salespeople, you've got to be hungry to be into win. Mm. And the commission model works because you've got agents working very hard for vendors mm. and you do work some pretty crazy hours um, yep. you don't want to get me started on the hours I've been doing the last month they're actually worse than a MP's um, workload but uh, I absolutely love it have got experience before and I mean Harcourts is a great company uh, they sponsor the referees I referee a lot of rugby so they sponsor referees throughout Otago and the current group that I work for the hot, the Harcourts Highland group got roughly 100, 120 sales people across um, six different offices in Otago. Um, so a good community firm. Um, my values align to them, hence why I joined the company. Yeah, no, I can see the values, you and Harcourts, that, that all makes makes you know great sense. Um, so yeah, I would certainly wish you all the best um, in your, um, I guess, this, this career when it comes to real estate and sales. I mean, when we when we look and we we see all the statistics, um, the median house price in Queenstown being now above a mill, it's um, which, which is pretty very rare as hen's teeth that you have that anywhere in either Australia or New Zealand. I mean, obviously maybe Sydney and a few other places, but um, that's it's quite amazing to have that. I suppose I think it's the only place on the South Island with those sort of numbers. The only place in South Island, um, the only other place in the country is really Auckland. Yeah. Um, but there's a flight to quality at the moment during tough times you see that so that's yep. why you've got a lot of buyers looking to Queenstown mm. at the moment um, interest rates money's basically free yep um, so especially older people I've seen sort of get in contact with me recently who 
aren't getting the returns at all in the banks. So, so they're looking for property, some sort of cash flow return, um, either on investment property or capital gain long term. And if you look at the history of real estate, it's always going to go up. It might have a dip for a number of years, but generally it goes up over time if you judge it on history. Mm. Um, but this development that I launched about three or four days before Christmas, it's called Gibson Valley Resort. It's about 20, 25 minutes from um, Queenstown CBD. Um, Australians, of course, can buy into it. Uh, we released that and the thing just went absolutely berserk. And mostly from sort of Auckland buyers, some from Australia are looking to purchase here. Um, yeah, so we're in a sort of interesting stage at the moment because during lockdown everyone thought that everything would go south yeah. um, and it's actually done the opposite. Um, quality property over about 1.52 million has gone up. Yeah. Um, we had a slight dip in property under sort of that 1.5 mark but that's since recovered and it's sort yeah. of a few percent higher than what it was. Um, the big drop we've had in Queenstown is around rents. So rents have dropped yeah, anywhere yeah. sort of between depending on the area, 20 and 30% huge hit. Yeah. Um, hasn't affected property prices at all, really, no. um, because obviously people see the value in capital gain, plus once the borders open, mm. um, we need Australia to be open. Roughly half of our visitors to Australia, to Queenstown are from Australia. Definitely. So it's vitally important we get that Aussie border opened ASAP. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gibston, uh, the one, just to put the audience, uh, for people listening maybe overseas, um, lots of wineries around there, just some beautiful wineries, lots of you know, cheese places, entertainment venues, brewery. There's a lot out there, isn't there, when you think about it, so you can understand why an estate would work. Absolutely, people can go there. It's a gated community. It's safe for your kids. Um, they can roam. It's got a real community feel, so the total development's worth roughly about $800 million. It's got a nine-hole golf course designed by Greg Turner, former professional golfer here in New Zealand. It's got a central facility. It's got a clubhouse. It's got everything you want and need. Um, it's got some interesting high-profile keywords. Is the golf course, is that sort of in progress, or is that, where's that at? No, nah, so basically construction doesn't start for another sort of three months, and yep. then we've got basically a year or two of earthworks. Yep. Um, the first building will start in about September, October this year. Yep. First building complete end of next year. Mm. Um, majority of stage one buildings complete sort of um, 2023, 2024. Um, it's attracted the likes of former Prime Minister Sir John Key, uh, Brendan McCullum, a cricketer. Yep. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's been crazy to be honest, just trying to keep up with a level on inquiry. But as you said, like it's in a beautiful valley. Um, and I can see why there's demand for the product. Yeah, I guess, it's, I don't know if it's surprising that it hasn't sort of taken off in, say, four or five years ago, but, because um, the one reason it's not like they've not been there. They've no, been, exactly. A lot of them, they've all been there, haven't they? I'm pretty sure. Well, what's interesting is this development, um, so one of the wineries developing it, they tried to start a pretty close to hitting go about 12 years ago, but then a thing called the GFC came along, oh, so yeah. they had to put a pause on the product, um, and look, the timing's worked for them, money's basically free. Um, COVID's caused a lot of uncertainty, hence why a lot of people are looking to invest into Queenstown. It's safe, it's a safe product. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, you would have seen, I guess, the evolution of Jack's Point over the last seven or eight years, uh, from nothing to what you've got today. And that, What do you think of that, how that's, do you think that's been a successful, I mean, that's been a fairly successful estate, hasn't it? Well, it has, I mean, it's got a beautiful 18-hole golf course out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's about sort of 
just under 10 minutes from Queenstown Airport, you know, 25 yeah. minutes to the CBD or 20 minutes on yeah. a good day. Yeah. Um, it's under the beautiful Remarkables, which yeah. has a ski field, but these, these, if you haven't seen the Remarkables, please Google it. It's the only mountain range in the world that runs from north to south. Um, you can see why Jack Port work. It's under beautiful Remarkables. It's got amazing mm. uh, outlook to the lake if you climb up to the top of the hill. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's a safe community. Yeah. Um, so you can see why these developments work. Yeah, definitely. So, um, the, all right. So I do look forward to, I guess, um, where this is, where this sort of goes with, with Queenstown in particular. As you said, since you've sort of even back in two thousand and seventeen, the amount of population that that's sort of been added into this area in particular has been quite a lot. And when I sort of first looked at this place back in two thousand and fifteen, I was a little bit surprised as to. I guess the, the low number, what, what I considered to be, what, you know, considering what the attraction was, the population were tourists, basically. So yeah, so you've got roughly a population in the basin of sort of 22 to 24,000. We've lost roughly anywhere, depending on who you listen to, roughly sort of six to 8,000 in terms of numbers. Um, we had this awful situation just before lockdown where a lot of people were trying to get back home. Yeah. Um, while the commercial flights were still running. Mm. Um, but we've had a bit of a hit to the population. Um, roughly half of the visitors to Queenstown are from Australia. Mm. Um, that's why the Australian bubble is really, really important to this town. Talking to most people around town, a lot of businesses can hold off to sort of March or April just. And then yeah. if you look at sort of um, hotel numbers, they're sitting at sort of 20 to 30%, so it's right down. But once the border opens, I think the biggest struggle will be getting access to labour. Um, Definitely. It's always been a huge problem for Queensland. Immigration policy just doesn't allow a steady workflow um, of labour for different businesses. And we had a lot of businesses lay off staff during lockdown, and then we had the lockdown lifted and an influx of domestic tourism quite intense for about eight weeks. So I think once that border opens, we have quite an intense period um, to start off with because there'll be pent-up demand. Of course, we've got to keep the country safe, so whenever that border opens, I just hope that it's safe. I think, I hope, I'd say that there's been a good um, record so far when it comes to <clears throat> when they, I guess the first, um, you know, the first time Australia sort of let New Zealand um, people across without quarantining uh, started in October last year. Um, January, Brisbane also joined on board, so there has not been one issue at all in a, from Australia's end from anyone coming from New Zealand. Um, so it should be hopefully reciprocated, you know, with sort of thinking over the next three months. Um, you know, from what we're hearing, there's no firm dates. Obviously, this uh, area would like it, and I would like it, um, you know, as soon as possible. Um, so we certainly look forward to that opening up and. Yeah, I've got to get back to Brisbane probably at the end of next month. I've already sort of booked a flight back. So I don't know. I mean, if I have to sort of... Yeah, it's one of those... It's an unknown factor at the moment. You might just have to, uh, yeah, as you say, book the flight and just hope. Even if you have to do two weeks in quarantine, hey, look at the positives. It's yeah. a good opportunity just to slow down a bit. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Um, you, you've got to do what you've got to do and... Uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting, certainly going forward. I guess any sort of um, final things that you wanted to cover at all, uh, Hamish. I really appreciate your time, obviously. But any sort of uh, final topics or points that you wanted to cover in today's uh, podcast? No, just full credit to you, Tim, for doing what you're doing. 
it's, it's actually really nice to see people connect straight away into the community. Mm. Um, I haven't come across anyone else that does something like this, a podcast. Mm. Um, so it's great what you're yeah. doing and full credit to you. And for anyone looking to come visit New Zealand, please, mm. please come as soon as you can because we certainly need you. Yeah, There's definitely. literally businesses who have been built up over decades yeah. that rely on tourism um, just waiting for the bubble to be opened. Yeah, excellent. And I think just make sure you, we'll, we'll get this and link up uh, on some of the socials online or email it to you, share it around, try to get a few more guests uh, lined up for the podcast soon. Um, so if you know anybody who, thinks, who, you, who you think would uh, enjoy you know, telling their story, Hamish, and certainly you, you're well connected. So um, um, if anyone you know that uh, would like, like to be part of this, I think it's, I think it's great as you do. So um, thank you for that. Cheers, take care. No worries, thank you Hamish. That's uh, been episode 10 of From the Resort Podcast. Um, And I'm signing off Tim Wilshere. Thank you very much everybody.